I am Laura Anderson, President of Veterinary Career Services, a recruiting firm for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and management professionals. Throughout my career, I've had the chance to work with many veterinarians and learn about their challenges, their goals, their dreams, and many other aspects of their careers and how they balance this with their personal lives. I'm hosting this podcast series, Veterinarians, Goals, Dreams, and Challenges, to provide information to veterinarians in the hope that it will help them create the lives they want. Thank you for joining us. Today, I'm speaking with Travis York, who is a managing director at Calico Financial. Calico is a finance company which is focused on helping veterinarians reach their goals of practice ownership. They also provide funding for expansions, construction, and refinancing, including student debt refinancing. Calico feels that it's very important to make current hospital owners aware that they have non-corporate options for their exit strategies and can help associate veterinarians become the sole owner of a hospital. Uh, Travis spent a lot of time in a veterinary practice as he was growing up. His father was a veterinarian. He went on to the University of Iowa to receive a bachelor's degree in business administration and accounting. He then joined a veterinary vertical at Live Oak Bank, where he remained from 2007 until 2014 and held the positions of general manager, senior officer, loan officer, and underwriter. He then joined Calico Financial. And so here we are. Travis, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I am uh, looking forward to uh, having a little bit of time to talk with you about practice ownership and the opportunities in uh, the veterinary space for veterinarians to uh, become owners. Great, great. You know, it's such an important topic today because so much is happening uh, in the veterinary world with mergers and acquisitions. And I think it's really important to let associates know that they they can buy into a, a hospital or buy a hospital and that hospital owners have other options than just selling to a, a corporate group. As you know, I recruit veterinarians and veterinary specialists. So I hear a lot about what the doctors are thinking, their goals, and, uh, and there are quite a few who would like to own a hospital. So, so my thought is for you to take us through the process step by step. Uh, if I'm a veterinarian or a veterinary specialist and I want to buy a hospital, what do I do? Well, I, I mean, I think the the first step if um, you're a veterinarian and want to buy a hospital is to embrace the fact that you want to buy a hospital and, you know, share that information with your your hospital owner um, and start the conversation, right? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, um, People are always unsure about approaching, you know, that that conversation because it's a little bit uncomfortable. And to me, that's that's really the first step is being comfortable sharing with your hospital owner that that you want to become a, a, an owner. Secondarily, I, I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of tactical things that you can start to do um, to prepare yourself. Um, yeah, you know, the first that I always would would focus on is, is 
your personal financials, right? Uh, you can s- save a certain amount of money and you can create liquidity and that is important, but there's other things that you can do. Don't over leverage yourself. Make sure when you're thinking about borrowing money that it's a very prudent and useful um use of debt. And when I say prudent and you know useful, that would be investing in your student loans. That's a very good debt to have because it leads to, you know, an asset that you can can use in the future. Um, one thing is a house. A house is a very positive debt. The other challenge with with a house is it's an obligation. And if you have a house payment and a mortgage and you want to go buy a hospital, 200 miles away, you have to make sure that you can sell that house. Um, Otherwise, you have an additional debt responsibility that you have to manage as a hospital owner. So be cautious as you buy a house. I'm not going to say don't do it, but it may not be if, you know, hospital ownership is one of your first goals. It may not be the first thing that you focus on. You know, really focus on your personal credit score. You know, lenders are going to use that to, to just kind of get a really good read on your kind of your personal use of credit, how you think about managing um, debt and, and how you go about paying your bills and handling your responsibilities. So when you're thinking about your personal credit, one thing that can you know greatly impact that is it's a great thing. Use your credit card, earn those extra points, pay it off every month. Did you know though that sometimes with a credit report, because of the reporting, if you're constantly paying your 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 balance down, if the credit card company is not reporting that at the time when your balance is paid down, the credit report could actually interpret that you have too much credit outstanding. So, you know, make sure that when you're thinking about your credit cards, that you're not always using right up to your limit. Maybe if you, you need all of your limit to kind of, support your personal living expenses, ask for a, a limit increase and just don't use it. But, you know, I mean, revolving debts, which are like credit cards, um, you know, some of the store cards can be a little bit dangerous. Um, they give you access to credit and give you the ability maybe to live a little bit beyond your means because you can make a smaller payment to buy a larger item. So I would make sure if you're using credit cards, you're only using those to pay for, you know, really kind of those monthly expenses and pay that off every month. Um, you know, that would kind of be one of the things that I, w- I would encourage you to do from a financial side of things to prep yourself. Another thing, if you have capacity, start putting money into your 401k. Even if it's just a nominal amount, it really just shows a discipline around saving, which I, I think a lot of lenders would like to see that discipline around saving. Most importantly is grow your leadership skills, you know, get in there and start to really take on opportunities to lead in the practice because that's what you'll be doing as a hospital owner. And so the more you can demonstrate those skills or having those responsibilities, you know, a lender likes to see that. Um, Last thing is, is get familiar with your numbers, you know, understand what your doctor production is, understand what drives your doctor production and talk with your owner or your manager about basically your numbers, because that's what, if you're going to own a hospital, you're ultimately going to be responsible for. So the more effectively you can communicate those to a lender, the more that they're going to see you as having a really good grasp on business and the ability to run, run that business, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So 
before they come to you, they should have a, a personal financial statement. I'm just some kind of reworking here. Personal financial statement, a credit report, their production report, and then a good idea of their debt and where that stands. Yeah. You don't have to have a personal financial statement to talk to a lender, but outlining you know, what you own and what yes. you owe is a great exercise. As, a, as an individual, you should always have that available to you. Being able to have a resume that highlights you know, your skill sets and highlights your past leadership is a, a, something that a lender is going to want to see. You know, and then I think most importantly, you're going to want to be able to articulate. You may not be able to have all of your business numbers, but be able to articulate you know, the hospital numbers and your business numbers to any lender and what you're doing today. Okay. Let me ask you this. Suppose I'm a veterinarian. I have a, another degree in accounting or business. And I want to buy a hospital that is not performing well. So that that hospital is the collateral for the loan, essentially, isn't it? Correct. So you're, you're, let me just make sure I'm understanding. Like, If you have a hospital that is not performing at industry standards yes. and somebody wanted to buy that, that would be the collateral for the, the purchase. Yes. So how would you look at that in that scenario when you've got a, a hospital that's not doing well? Well, as a first-time hospital owner, there is a barrier to acquiring a hospital that is underperforming at this point in time. Oh, okay. What lenders are going to do and what lenders will be comfortable providing a loan based upon is the cash flow. And so every hospital generates a certain amount of cash flow that's available to service the debt. And the lender will look at the hospital and say, as a doctor, you need to make this amount of money out of the hospital for your work as a doctor. And then after that, as the business owner, you'll have a certain amount of money left over for running the business. And that would be the money that would be available to pay the debt. And lenders can provide a loan that may be paid back over 10 years or maybe paid back over 15 years. And based upon how long that repayment period is, the lower or the higher the payment is going to be, and the more you may be able to pay for that hospital. And no lenders that I know of, unless it's a very small hospital, will generally lend to something unless the historical cash flow shows the ability to repay the debt with about a 20% cushion, meaning if you're you know, debt payment obligations were $50,000, the lenders would like to see the business have cash flow of sixty dollars to $65,000 to make that loan. Okay. Got it. Got it. So that brings up another question. Who values the hospital? Or how is it valued and who values it? That is a very interesting, and I mean, Laura, you kind of probably just hit on a very loaded question in today's landscape, because there is a group of um, people, there's a group called Vet Partners, which, I, I, you know, if you aren't aware of, maybe a great organization to look at, that has a veterinary valuation council. And that valuation council reviews what the valuation process for hospitals. And the, the people that sit on that council are people who value hospitals, which are generally CPAs, or veterinary hospital brokers. 
and they will go get certain credentials um, so they can be like a certified valuation analyst. And they're going to really use a formula that will value the hospital based upon how much debt that hospital can support. Interestingly enough, some of the larger hospitals now are getting valued in more of kind of a free market bidding process, right? So in the valuation model process, somebody valuing a hospital, you would provide all of your financial statements to your CPA. The CPA who has a valuation credential would come back and say, your hospital is worth this amount. And I could walk you through the formula, but there's there's some formula and then there's some judgment and some analysis that they look at relative to the risk to help them assess um, the value of the hospital. And then they'll provide a value for that hospital. The way the world is working today now on some of the larger hospitals is the owner will just put together a certain package of information and we'll send it out and we'll get bids that come back. And those bids can really vary in value because the people who are bidding are bidding based upon very personal and customized um, circumstances. So that's where when I say it's a loaded question, 15 years ago, you could send your information to a CPA and you come back with one number that was relatively consistent. You know, there may be a little bit of variation because of some of the subjectivity to it, but it would be relatively consistent. Today, that CPA valuation still occurs, but some of the numbers that we're seeing that are very large, I'm sure, you know, some of what we're talking about here is corporate buyers. Well, corporate buyers may buy a hospital for a strategic reason and just quite frankly, be willing to pay more than what that CPA would show. And so that's where it gets to be a really loaded question um, for who creates the value. And at the end of the day, you know, what we're seeing happen in the marketplace is we're seeing economics happen and you know value is generally defined by you know a willing buyer and a willing seller and the highest that number is 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 what the willing seller is willing to go to and so with this bidding process you're seeing more of that happen but if i am an associate and i want to buy the hospital do i hire someone like vet partners or does the owner of the hospital hire Laura, if you're looking at, you know, somebody who's got a one to two doctor practice, they're looking to, to transition and sell, the, it's generally the seller's obligation to set the purchase price. If you, if you think about buying a house, the buyer doesn't set the price. The seller sets the price. So most kind of normal business practices, if the seller wants to sell, the seller would set the price. I think at the end of the day, like if the buyer is making like kind of a, a an offer or a pass or trying to entice the seller to sell, that would be like if you knocked on somebody's door and said, hey, I want to buy your house, I'll pay you X, Y, Z for your house. It becomes more of the buyer's obligation to, to, to kind of put forward that first number. But that can be very difficult because you really have to have an engaged seller who's going to share the financial information to make a bid. How long does the process take from approaching somebody like you and saying, you know, here's here's my information, here's the hospital, and until actually taking ownership? I mean, in some of the most efficient transactions, if there is no real estate associated with it, I've seen them move through the process with a willing buyer, a willing seller, a heart, like a commitment to get to a certain date. and 
you know, limited negotiation, it can go as quickly as 45 to 60 days. Wow. That's faster than I thought. I have also seen transactions where we get into the nitty gritty of, you know, arguing who gets to take, you know, the last expired bottle of, you know, vaccine out of the refrigerator. And we're negotiating, you know, where the commas sit in the contract. And I've seen those stretch on for over a year. So, you know, I mean, it really does come down to the buyer and the seller setting the intentions of their team and defining, hey, you know, let's make this a fair transaction. Let's let's make this a transaction that works for both of us. I don't want to take any undue risk, but like, you know, let's let's move this forward. And in those scenarios, they can be moved forward relatively quickly. And you mentioned um, acquiring real estate. Do you advise young owners to to think about the real estate or do you or just buy the business or, or what are your thoughts on that Travis a situation will drive opportunity my advice is always don't you know i've had people say well i can't buy the real estate so i'm not going to buy that hospital i don't believe in that mm-hmm. the hospital is one asset the real estate is another asset um the best thing about the hospital is you actually control the marketing, you control the growth. It's not a reactive investment. It's an investment that you can drive the value on. So I really like owning the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. If you can buy the real estate alongside of it, you might as well, because a lease is nothing more than another form of financing that just doesn't allow you to own the asset at the end of your ownership path. So, you know, preference is always as a veterinarian, you can oftentimes secure 100% financing for the purchase of the real estate. So if you can buy it, you should definitely buy it. Um, That being said, you should never walk away from an opportunity because you can't buy the real estate. Okay, got it. So you can still buy the practice even to pursue that if that's your goal, even though the real estate might not be part of the package at that time. Right. You know, I mean, again, if you sign a lease, you may sign a five-year lease. Well, you know, in five years, maybe you relocate the hospital to a building that you own if that owner doesn't want to sell to you. Um, You know, maybe in five years, you can buy the property because the owner's in a different position and needs to needs to sell the, the property. It's it is not essential and you can always be moving towards that goal. And oh yeah, by the way, maybe you want to own a hospital in Manhattan. Well, good luck owning the real estate in Manhattan. And so it's not going to happen because of the underlying value of that of that real estate and and how it's positioned. So it really is, you know, situationally driven. Because of the 100% financing, if the opportunity to buy the real estate is available, I would always encourage somebody to do that. But it should not be a requirement, in my opinion, to buy the hospital. Because, I mean, my dad was a veterinarian, and his generation made a lot of money as veterinarians in owning real estate. Because they built a lot of hospitals on the edge of communities that got turned into neighborhoods, and they were able to sell the real estate for significant value increase. Okay. They also um, were just in a very different economic time. And as a veterinarian, you always have to remember that you control the hospital so you can really create wealth 
more wealth for yourself out of the hospital, not so much the real estate. That brings me to another point. Do you encourage new owners to keep the selling doctor on for a while to help the transition? I think it's very situational, Laura. Obviously, if that selling doctor, if this is a three doctor practice and you're a current associate working in the hospital and each one of the doctors is producing $600,000, you really want to keep that, that, that owner on after the transition. Because if you lost the owner the day the hospital sold, you would have to find a doctor to replace them. Um, I think that, you know, on the flip side, I've seen hospitals transition where the owner produces $150,000 of revenue in a $5 million grossing practice. And it's probably net neutral whether they stay on as a producing doctor or not, right? And in some ways, if there is opportunity to improve the hospital, it, it can be a hindrance if they stay on. So you have to really assess the situation that you're in assess the opportunity, assess the risk of letting them go and replacing their value as a veterinarian uh, and make, a, make a, a judgment call on what's best for your opportunity. Can you give me some examples of repayment periods and personal guarantees that you see today? You know, generally, let's talk about real estate real quick because that's easy. Real estate is financed over 25 years. You may experience um, in a conventional real estate loan, something called a balloon, which means that the loan would mature at 10 years. They oftentimes have a fixed interest rate that's based upon kind of where the market is at that point in time. Um, Hospital loans. So, you know, along with the real estate, you're going to buy the hospital. Hospital loans um, either have a, in some cases, some banks will do a seven-year term. We don't see that very much. That was something that used to happen probably 10 or 15 years ago. Nowadays, what you mostly see is either a loan for 10 years or a loan for 15 years. Those loans generally have a 10-year term attached with them and an interest rate that's fixed for either five or 10 years, kind of at based upon where the market is and kind of what's happening in the world at that point in time. Um, the 15-year loan is generally maybe going to have a little bit higher interest rate than the 10-year loan. Obviously, if you're getting a longer repayment period, you would expect to pay a little bit more for that extended repayment period. So that's generally kind of how we see the the you know the loans break apart. Real estate, 25 years, and you know, business assets or the hospital is either a 10 or a 15-year loan. And personal guarantees? Personal guarantees, you should expect on anything tied to a small business that you're going to need to provide a personal guarantee. Now, one thing that's a big lesson is there is a big difference between a personal guarantee and a lien on your residence. Most loans do not require liens on your residence. Um, We really only see that within kind of the SBA loans, which we don't see a whole lot of those unless you're doing a construction project, which is not the focus of this discussion. Um, what we normally really see is just a personal guarantee, meaning that, you know, you're saying if something were to happen with the hospital debt at a personal level, you're providing a guarantee of, you know, anything that you contribute to the, to the hospital to, to help, you know, get the lender satisfied of their debt. Right. Okay. Is there a certain percentage of debt that you need to see the personal guarantee? Um, you're going to person, you're going to provide a personal guarantee on the whole amount that's borrowed. Okay. Got it. Okay. 
so it, it's and one thing that you do generally see just as a as a sidelight is, you know, some people will establish partnerships, which I think can be a very useful way to become a business owner. It gives you a little bit of a team to work with. You know, you may have a partner who's really good at at, <clears throat> you know, the the medical side of things and you're really good at the staff management side of things and your two skill sets and your two interests overlap really well. You should expect that if you go borrow money to buy that hospital together, that you're probably not going to just guarantee 50% of the loan. You're each going to guarantee 100% of that loan. Oh, okay. Got it. Travis, how many application loan applications do you see a year and how many do you accept? It varies based upon, again, kind of market dynamics and what's going on. I would say on average, you know, within just kind of our group, we're evaluating probably 250 to 350 loan opportunities per year. And I would say we, you know, we provide a proposal on at least 75% of those opportunities. Oh, wow. Okay, great. I, I think that, you know, if you talk to some other lenders, they may see a few more opportunities in front of them. They may also pass on a few more opportunities. We've really, at a company level, committed to try to you know get on the front end of educating the people that we work with on you know what we need for it to be a good opportunity. So I, I feel like we come in with very very qualified candidates um, just because we've worked with them for a while. Okay, and how large are the hospitals that you typically work with, or how many well, veterinarians? Um, our kind of average client profile is, is very is very different. So there are there's a group of lenders in the uh, you know kind of in the veterinary world that have a niche focus on veterinarians, and they're going to do a lot of one and two doctor hospitals. We don't do as much financing associated with that. Uh, a lot of where we're working is with probably four doctor hospitals and up. So we've really kind of tried to create um, the ability. We're, we're comfortable if, if somebody needs to borrow six and a half million dollars, lending a, a larger dollar figure to a, an individual hospital owner. Got it. And we also have really focused a lot on, on very entrepreneurial doctors. So we may have some doctors in our portfolio that own two or three hospitals. Um, it, it's... There, there's a huge network and opportunity also, though, and a lot of resources available for people who are looking to acquire one, you know, some of the one and two doctor hospitals. And I'm always more than happy to kind of help try to, you know, guide somebody in the right direction. My view on the world, Laura, is it's a little bit like kind of the hotel business. There's, you know, there's a lot of different types of hotels that people can go stay at. Um, and, you know, if somebody wanted a, you know, a Holiday Inn experience and they bought a Four Seasons experience, they may be a little bit disappointed. Um, and so I always try to get somebody just, you know, with the person who's best going to be able to help them with, with, their, with their opportunity. Right, right. Okay. And that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you one more question about what Calico does. Most veterinarians graduate now from veterinary school with some amount of debt and your, your firm refinances that. Can you tell me a little more about how that works? 
Yeah. So we, um, this is something that we've partnered with a group called College Ave. There, you know, is a, a wide network of um, people who focus on student debt. And what, again, student debt is really comes in one of two two forms or fashions. It will either come in what's a private loan or a government loan. We don't really focus on working in the government loans because government loans are different than private loans, and they can't really be refinanced unless you go through a government program, and that's not an area that we work with. So if somebody was you know, looking and said, hey, I've got a government loan. Should I put it into a private loan? Probably not. Private loans generally have, you know, shorter repayment periods and, and you know, maybe more expensive interest rates. Government loans are, are you know, student government loans are, the, are, are really the cheapest and you want to stay there. On the private loan front, what oftentimes happens is, you know, each year you're kind of accumulating these loans and you get to the end of a school and you've got a, a pile of, of loans that is, you know, 12 or 15 different loans. And so a lot of times what we're really trying to help veterinarians do is consolidate those private loans into one loan package, one loan payment, and, and a lower interest rate in, in all of those. And, and it's really, it's it's unlike a business loan, a Student loan is very much focused on what's your annual income, what's your debt to income ratio. So how much is your total debt versus, you know, what's your what's your loan payment and does that fit within kind of the ratio? And they can calculate it and and really complete an online approval for anybody who would be focused on thinking about, you know, trying to consolidate their student loans. Uh, what's the typical repayment period if you refinance your student debt? I, a lot of the private loans tend to live more in a 10-year repayment. Um, so if you're consolidating your loans with Calico, and I mean, the reason you would do that is, one, just to keep make it easier, but two, you're saving money. Correct. Right. You know, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the goal, at the end of the day, the goal is to reduce that interest rate. And so that that can all depend upon, you know, when did you graduate? When did you take those loans out? Maybe you took those loans out, you know, in in 2009 when interest rates were really low and now interest rates are a little bit higher. So it may not make sense to refinance. The other time we see people refinance is, you know, they had private loans and maybe they were on a five-year repayment schedule because they got a low interest rate and they didn't have kids, they didn't have family, and they didn't need to buy a house. And that worked, but life changes. And now all of a sudden they need a a 10-year amortization with a lower payment so that they can afford to buy the house or do what they, you know. So there's a lot of reasons that will drive people to think about, you know, executing on that refinance. Yeah, I don't know that a whole lot of veterinarians know know that much about it. So I'm glad to to provide a little bit of information because it can be a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely, right? I, I mean it and the interest rates, you know, matter as as the as the student debt numbers continue to increase and you know the biggest piece of advice is you know just make sure you you create a debt schedule around those notes, identify whether they're government backed loans or private loans. And and then if you're interested in, in in doing a refinance on the on the private loans, if you've created that debt schedule, you can see what your interest rates are. And so again, on a debt schedule, you're going to have. 
the original balance, the current balance, the interest rate, the date that you have it paid off, and what your monthly payment is. And you can go through and total those up. And then if you, you know, put the, the loans into the, the refinance calculator and the approval process, it'll come back and it'll give you a payment and an interest rate. And then you can assess, does it make sense to, to do this refinance or not? And, you know, it's interesting, Travis, and my guess is you're probably aware of this, but I do have some of my clients now who are offering um, uh, as part of the compensation package or the benefit package to assist uh, with student debt repayment. So either it's a lump sum or it is uh, a monthly payment. And as the <clears throat> tenure of the employee increases, the the amount that the um, the hospital will pay toward that debt increases. So I have seen a shift uh, that over the past few years uh, to help younger veterinarians with with a lot of debt. Absolutely right. I mean, as as the debt burden increases. And I mean, you get up every day and live it firsthand, Laura, the, the recruitment of, of doctors is, is critical. And, um, you know, based upon that, I think you're going to continue to see more and more tools that employers use to, to try to recruit the best talent. Absolutely. I'm seeing it more and more. I mean, I'm seeing much more flexibility, uh, than I than I was seeing ten years ago, and I think it's great. <laughs> Absolutely, you know anything anything that that they can can do to continue to you know to help drive the you know the opportunity for minimizing that that burden of student debt, the better. Well, Travis, thank you, thank you for also uh, you know addressing that uh, refinancing of student debt. Um, it was a little diversion, but again, I think that information is so important. And then the information about buying a hospital is just, I know it's on a lot of people's minds right now. And uh, again, whether you're the hospital owner or an associate wanting to buy, and they just don't know where to start. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to send anybody uh, your, that's interested your way. <laughs> Absolutely. More than happy to, you know, to talk with anybody. Well, terrific. Uh, sounds great. And thank you again for your time and, and for, um, for educating me and, and everyone else. No problem. Thank you for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for listening to this podcast in the series, Veterinarians, Goals, Dreams, and Challenges. I hope you found the information useful. If there is any way I can help you, I can be reached at laura at vetcareerservices.com. Also, I would love to hear any thoughts, suggestions, or insights you would like to share. 